You are listening to The Booked Podcast. This is Chuck Wendig, author of Blackbirds and Mockingbirds. You are duct taped to a chair with your eyelids peeled back. Please enjoy the ride. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Um, this week, um, we're not telling you about a book we're reading because we already told you about the book. This week, we're going to talk to the author uh, a little bit about Brian Evanson. Um, Brian's the recipient of an International Horror Guild Award and the author of 12 books of fiction. Make that 13 now. Uh, most recently, Immobility and, and Lords of Salem, which we reviewed here. Uh, Last Days won the American Library Association's Award for Best Horror Novel of 2010, and The Open Curtain was a finalist for an Edgar Award. He is also the author of an Aliens novel, two Dead Space novels, and a Halo novella. Booked interviewed Brian Evanson during the Warmed and Bound sessions. I said that so unnaturally because it's actually here in front of me written down that way. So, yeah, we had the pleasure of talking (laughs) to Brian almost two years ago now um, during the warmed and bound sessions. And he was kind enough to agree to come on and talk to us a little bit about Lords of Salem. Uh, that's right. Uh, warmed and bound, by the way, his story was the killer. And I remember that when we were going through that, uh, series of interviews and stuff, and then the overall wrap up, I think the killer was one of my top three stories in that book. I believe you are correct. Um, Lords of Salem. We've talked about on several episodes. We reviewed it. Uh, I believe we it came off pretty well. I think we all, we gave a good uh, rating, but um, also upcoming actually released today as we speak. Not necessarily a holiday, however, it is a release day for the movie Lords of Salem. Oh, it's a holiday for Rob Zombie fans, I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah, I wish that I was hey. watching the movie. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, but, listen, after the interview, I think we're going to have a little exciting news uh, about an upcoming episode for our listeners too. So you want to stay tuned for that. That's right. Yeah. Brian, uh, thank you so much for taking some time and coming back to talk to us on Booked here. You're very welcome. I know that you uh, you had some heart. So congratulations. You just had a, a son. Is that correct? I, I Yes, I have a son Recently. who's uh, almost two months old now named Max Tobias Evanson. That's awesome. Very cool. So yeah, is that, is that so, you, so you've stopped? Yeah, I would say you've stopped sleeping com- totally, completely. Yeah, totally stopped sleeping. Um, <laughs> you know, he has he has no compunction about waking me up at like, you know, three in the morning uh, and then wake me up again at five. And yeah. so, so I feel like I kind of sleep in like 45 minute increments sometimes. Those kids, man, no manners whatsoever. <laughs> I know, they're terrible. Is this, is this your first child? Uh, no, I have two oh, okay. old kids um, who are, you know, actually in their early twenties now. Okay. So I had kids when I was really young cause mm-hmm. I was Mormon and then, um, and then just, you know, a kid kind of probably, you know, when I'm in my forties as well. So nice. Mm. Very cool. Babysitters. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I have kids that can watch the kids. Perfect. That, that's that's ab- yeah, absolutely ideal. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start off with the with the question that Rob and I have been talking about for for a couple of weeks since we reviewed the book. What made you decide to do the novelization for Lords of Salem? Um, I'm I'm a real sucker for like projects that I haven't done before, and you know anything that seems kind of out of the ordinary or that people might not expect me to do, um, I I tend to, to to try to do those projects, 
And so, you know, it, it kind of came out of nowhere, the, the offer to do this. And I just thought, um, first I thought, you know, this is strange. No one will understand or certain people who read me won't understand why I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And then as I thought about it more and more, I thought, you know, this is going to be really fun. I'll have a great time doing it. Um, it's, it, it pays well. And, uh, you know, I've always been interested in Rob Zombie, so, so why not? Oh, perfect. I was just going to ask you what your uh, history with Rob Zombie's body of work, if you were ever a fan of any of his stuff. Uh, I, I was, you know, and I, I did, uh, when I lived in, in Provo, uh, Utah, I went to a, a show that was in Salt Lake of White Zombie. That was years ago. Um, and, you know, I've kind of followed him since. Um, I'm pretty aware of the, the films, some films more than others, but uh, um, but definitely, you know, the music was stuff that I kind of grew up listening to and was aware of. I do the nerdiest. I think I said this on, maybe it was the uh, the review of Lords of Salem. We were talking a little bit about Rob Zombie, and I, I give the, like, one of the most vivid memories of me as a teenager is when I was, like, 15, someone gave me the cassette for uh, the White Zombie's first big album. Yes. And like vividly in my mind, I remember like what it looked like. I remember the card they gave me and stuff. It was like yeah. definitely a big moment for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and they put on a good show and stuff. I mean, they're 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 really fun. I mean, Rob is a really you know kind of interesting, really performative guy, and and so you know, I just I felt like um, you know, I, I I've I've done a lot of these kind of weird little projects. I did an Aliens book and I did some video game novels, and it's just as time has gone on, I keep thinking, you know, I can I can work in that mode and do something that someone doesn't expect me to, but bring things to it that that will also be kind of surprising and interesting for the people who are reading it. So why not? All right. So you mentioned um, Aliens and Dead Space. Do you, did you find it harder to adapt something that already had a you know, I'm assuming a fairly rigid story when when it was handed over to you. Um, well, so so for both of these, I mean, there, there's the the video game with Dead Space uh, that was in place, and there's a lot of rules about the world as a result of the video game. Um, but but you know, they they said they basically approached me and they said, you know, we like uh, your work. We've read Last Days, that novel, and um, just put a proposal together for something you'd like to do. And so I, I did. I did a couple of different proposals, but, but um, you know, came up with one they really liked and then kind of expanded it uh, into a, an outline that was about 20 pages long and, and, and really ended up with something that I was very happy with and they were very happy with. So, so there was, weirdly enough, there was a lot of flexibility, um, more than I thought there was going to be going in. Um, they were totally accommodating. They, they were pretty clear about the fact that they wanted me to do the book because... Um, you know they like my work, and they 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 basically said one of the guys, Chuck uh, Beaver, who works there, said, you know, if we if we like your work and we want you to do the book, and then we put all these restrictions on you, then then what's the point? And so they just said, all right, let's we'll we'll figure it out. We're not going to let you contradict things with the lore, but um, you know, um, we we're really interested in just what your idea is. And so with the second book too, I mean, we had a bunch of ideas. We kind of went over things and. They had suggestions about which one they preferred, um, but ultimately it was, you know, my my decision, and I could kind of expand it the way I wanted, and that was great. Um, with the Alien novel, um, <clears throat> that that property is pretty controlled, in that um, they have a thing called the Alien Bible. So one of the first things I was given was um, this Alien Bible that told you what you could and couldn't do with the Alien world. Can't write books from the perspective of aliens. Aliens don't have feelings. Um, you know, there were there were a whole range of things that that you couldn't do, and also um, you know things that 
um, if, if you did them, that would cost, um, they'd have to pay an additional royalty to the people who own the rights to the movie, so that you couldn't do those either. Um, and and so, so it did feel a little bit like I was working in a, you know, this world that was already created that I knew really well because that Alien, the movie, was a movie I, I grew up with and loved and scared the, the hell out of me when I was little. Um, but I also, um, you know, had to kind of figure out a way to kind of make it work in that world. Um, but, you know, it was fun. I, I, I still felt like I could do that and make it work and, and take advantage of that world and, um, you know, do what I want to do um, within it. I was thinking about when we were kind of assembling these questions, um, the idea that like maybe it would be difficult to adapt something like our original question was. But then I was thinking about when we were talking to you before, how many different I mean, you've done translations, you've worked in these other worlds. Um, It seems like adaptability might be just something that you you're kind of good at. Well, I, I like it. I like the challenge of that. And I like thinking, you know, how do you kind of inhabit someone else's space or their world in a way that's still like true to them, but also true to you at the same time. And I think it's you have to go into the project having a real respect for the project. I mean, I, I think if I hadn't liked the video, uh, Dead Space video game, then um, it would have been very hard to write those in a way that really worked. Um, if I hadn't really kind of grown up uh, on Alien uh, the movie and and then the later movies as well. Then then I, it would have been harder as well. And then you know since I knew Rob Zombie's work and and I I read the screenplay and really liked it and could see ways in which I could kind of take that and and move it into a, a novel format. Um, it just you know it just seemed like you can you can do it if you can respect the work itself and figure out ways to kind of insert yourself into it and make it you know both what it was but also kind of bring yourself into it. That makes me respect the work even more. Um, so I just thought we were talking when we did our review. Uh, one of the things that <laughs> we talked about, obviously, different mediums have different like thresholds for, yeah, uh, you know what you can do with it. And uh, some of the scenes, I just flat out said, I don't even, I can't even imagine how this would make it into a film. Yeah, um, and, and you've seen the film by now, right? I have, yeah. How, how, what's it like seeing it uh, in that incarnation versus knowing what you you put together for the book? Well, I, I you know I worked off the the screenplay before the film was it was in the process of the film being made, mm. and then and then Rob kind of went over it with me, and you know we we kind of went back and forth a little bit, but uh, um, you know the film has changed a little bit from the book. I mean, there's there's things that couldn't quite um, fit in, and things that you know just just didn't make sense to finally include in the film. Um, but there are a few moments in the film that are really shocking, I think, and 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 uh, <laughs> that I did wonder when I was reading the screenplay: Are you actually going to do this? And uh, <laughs> he he does. Um, and then there are others that that don't. I mean, I think some of the stuff, like at the beginning, which the book is really shocking the way it begins. Um, you have a kind of impression of that in the film, but I I don't. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been about um, four or five months since I've seen the film. Um, you, you don't really see it in the kind of graphic detail that you see it in the, in the book. Um, and one kind of amazing thing about writing this book is it's, it's one of the few projects I've done where I've been working on it and have kind of done, um, you know, fairly um, graphic stuff and then had the editor say, this is great, but you could make it more graphic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a different response. I mean, the response I usually get from my work is, is, is people are very nervous about you know, those, those elements of it. So um, during our review, we actually read from the scene, I believe towards the beginning that you, that you were mentioning. 
Um, do you find scenes like that difficult to write, or or is it something you you, you know can really get into because you have this kind of limitless, you know, violent, gross, you know, context that you can work in? Well, you know, I, I don't think that that the kind of goriness of it comes naturally to me. I mean, I'm, I I end up being in in my own prose. Um, I do those sorts of things, but it's very precise. It's much more kind of haunting and suggestive. Um, but you know, I, I was working off what Rob had, and um, and it was there, and it was fairly precise. And I just thought, you know, why not just kind of keep on going with it? Um, I once you kind of get writing it, I find that you get involved in the language of it, and and at a certain moment, you stop realizing um, that it's actually an incredibly gory, visceral scene, and you just become interested in the way in which the language is working and the sounds are working and things like that. And so I've had this experience with my own work where, where people have responded very strongly to it, and I'm almost surprised because I've, I've just really started to think of it as, as a collection of sounds. Um, but, of course, in the early stages, you really don't think that. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my wife made the mistake of reading that um, first chapter of Lords of Salem um, about four days before she gave birth. Oh, no. So, that, that crossed my mind when we were putting I, together that episode. You know, I, 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 she called and she said, I'm going to read your book. And I said, oh, I don't know that you should do that. And, and then before I knew it, I was getting texts in class about it. So it was a little much. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it for pregnant women. Um, I was talking to my mother who's boss uh i i i typically would consider not the t your target audience for a book like this uh -huh. and he was really excited about reading the book i don't know if he'd listened to our review or not but he knew i think my mother knew that we gave it you know a pretty good rating and everything and she told me he was going to read this book and i said i want you to tell him exactly this and i basically explained <laughs> that scene in the first chapter yeah and she did and he he did, he read it he read the book anyway and he said that you know, afterwards when he finished, uh, it's more violent and, and kind of gory than typically he would read, but he couldn't stop because the content, like the way it was written was so good that like, it just kept pushing him through it. So he yeah. did overcome like the, the occasional brutalities of it because of the overall content, which I think kind of what you were just saying that that does go through, come through with, uh, with the readers. Yeah, I'd like to think there are enough rewards about the writing itself and about what's going on and the suspense of it and other things that it really carries you through. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I, I think that the goriness is partly just me, um, you know, trying to really kind of embody something that I think that Rob does in his movies and and, and to some degree, a lesser degree in his songs. Um, but, but you know, I, I think that was part of the task is, is to write, you know, work with him on a book that would... would would really be true to what he's about, um, but also be true to, you know, what I'm about. So, yeah, he definitely, uh, for me at least, with those movies, Devil's Rejects and uh, House of a Thousand yeah. Corpses, uh, yeah. the the word unsettling I think is like one of the things that I think comes most to mind because, yeah. I mean, you can see a million horror movies and it's slasher and it's you know, kind of formulaic, but he really works to like just make you feel uneasy about what you're watching and. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Devil's Rejects especially, I think that's a really really interesting uh movie, really great movie. Um and you know, there's that moment when you get to the end and he starts playing Freebird and and then you realize he's going to play the whole song of Three yeah. <laughs> And there's something about just coming to that realization that makes that whole final scene kind of all the more um amazing. 
So I never yeah. hesitate to tell people. <laughs> oh, were you going to say this, Olivia? <laughs> yes, I was. I always I cried. I cried at the end. It was like <laughs> such an yeah. emotional end for that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I actually I like that movie a lot. That may be my favorite movie of his. The new one I think is really great too. I mean, the thing that's really interesting about it is it's it's really atmospheric. And so so in in many ways I think it's it's uh you know, the book kind of explains a lot of things that that didn't end up making it in the movie or aren't really explained in the movie. So it really works well together. I like that idea that the book and the movie kind of play off one another and support one another. I think that uh, I, uh, by the way, I agree with you guys fully on Devil's Rejects. It's probably in my top ten favorite movies. Um, awesome. And yeah, it doesn't hurt the Cherry Moon zombies in it, as I mentioned <laughs> before. I was really disappointed when I watched the extras and found out she was just like a really normal person because I just wanted her to be baby in real life. Like that's what I wanted from her. But yeah, yeah. Um, here's here's the question I think a lot of uh, listeners want to know. You mentioned a couple times. What's it like working with Rob Zombie? You know, he's he uh, was was really great. He gave me a lot of artistic freedom and uh, very responsive. Um, and you know, I, I think sometimes when you work with people, they can be incredibly possessive. And and I just think he he was he was easy to work with. He wasn't very hard. I mean, and and a lot of it was was done kind of individually. You know, where where I was doing stuff and then was sending him stuff to look at and kind of going back and forth like that. But uh, but yeah, I have no complaints at all about the process of working with Rob. He seems like a good dude. Livius, uh, when we were talking about this, uh, we were talking about it earlier, uh, was saying that he kind of hoped that Rob Zombie was some super sinister kind of guy in real life. But <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's just a good dude. I think he's, yeah, he's a smart guy. I mean, he knows a lot about film and he really is interested in, in a kind of a whole series of B movies and, and, uh, just film in general. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. It's he's someone who's smart who also has an interest in horror, and I think that's how I'd like to see myself as well. But coming from the, uh, you know, the literary side of things as well, the the writing side of things. You are the literary Rob Zombie. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm not saying. <laughs> so I, yeah, no, not exactly. But sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, just giving you a hard time. Uh, that's I don't mind. One thing that came up on Facebook, um, and I, I, it was something that you kind of replied to, we had a little back and forth, was the concept of whether someone should see the movie first or read the book first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know you had a comment on it. Um, what, what, again, would you say? Is it kind of, you, you pick and choose, or do you have a recommendation? I honestly think it's better to see the book first. Um, so when I saw the movie, I was was in the audience with people who had, who had read the book and, and people who had not read the book. And and I think that the response was was really different um, from one or the other. I think if you've read the book first, it gives you a context for everything that's going on and, and, and allows you to kind of sort through it. And you have this kind of way of, of moving thematically and plot-wise through the movie, um, but also enjoying the kind of the, the, the strangeness of the images and the imagery and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you don't have that, I mean, I think it, it ends up feeling much more like, um, something like uh, uh, you're you're watching a you know 2001 if it was a horror movie done by a J horror director, <laughs> and uh, which I think it can be an amazing experience. So actually, maybe that would actually be the way to go in some ways. <laughs> um, I think it's it, it's a really different experience if you've read the book or not read the book, but you won't feel like um, you're repeating so much. You I really feel like they're symbiotically related rather than um, um, you know, repetitions of one another. 
Great. I I think that both of us were a little surprised. I've read a couple of novelizations, and I never. How do I say this? I never expect them to be very good. So I think yeah. that kind of going back to what we were talking about, the prose and the kind of the development of the characters you're able to bring really made it um, from a novelization into a, a novel, you know, like a standalone novel. I remember the first one I read, I think it was um, it was a novelization of First Blood Part Two. I think I was like 15 <laughs> or something. I, you know, I was really early on. I've read a couple. And after a certain point, I actually said I'm not reading any more novelizations. So yeah. this came up and we had to touch on it. But I think that you're right. The prose can really change the the feel because this certainly could have been uh you know the novelization you find on the you know on the shelf at walgreens yeah you know it's a 180 <laughs> page you know novelization of of you know of a book of, of a movie that was a book and it just yeah, had yeah. a whole different feel to it so yeah we're yeah, both planning on seeing the movie yeah i felt like i wanted to do something that um you know i, I thought i wanted to be fun for me to write which it was clear immediately it was going to be fun for me to write but i also wanted it to be something that that um i was happy with and proud of and so so even though it's a novelization um you know i, I wanted to be kind of the best um novelization possible so so you know i, I tend to do that i mean it, i probably could do it a lot quicker if i if i just ripped it out um but but I'm, I'm more interested in just seeing, you know, what I can do with this form that everyone thinks is just a disposable form. Um, but if you if you do stumble across books, like when I was doing the Aliens novel, um, there's a couple of, of really good Aliens uh, novel adaptations. There's a Jim Woodring one, which is just really great. Um, a graphic novel, too, that's adapted by him. It's good. And, and suddenly I started to realize, you know, it doesn't have to be just a kind of exercise it can be something that you can really start to play around with and get an interest get to interesting places with yeah i think the danger might be just to try and play it safe yeah that you like you you encapsulate the story without like you know upsetting like people or you know the overall um idea of the original body of work but yeah i mean that's when it gets you know boring yeah <laughs> You know, I think the other thing is that the fans really love the the world of of the book, or they love the writer who's you know, they love Rob's work, and and so you you really do have to take it seriously. You have to to try to bring the the level of commitment and artistry that um, that he has, or that you know um, you know I really when I was doing the Aliens book, I really wanted to replicate the experience that I'd had of watching that for the first time and you know not knowing that there were going to be things happening like that you're going to suddenly have it revealed that someone is a is a, is a sort of android um or having the chest burster come out of the guy's chest the first time when you have no idea that's even a possibility and uh um you know trying to replicate that that experience of just you know and now it's like we know what what alien is and aliens are and and as a result we kind of have this kind of it doesn't surprise us in the same way, but, but, you know, seeing that like in the theater, it was just like devastating. I guess. And this is me, this is me totally not knowing what I'm talking about, but it was just kind of a thought I had. And I want to see if this sparks, okay. this rings true at all. Um, it seems like with, uh, with stories that get carried on and reinvented and, and stuff like that, comic books is an example of something where like you're constantly breathing new life into something or taking a different, uh, approach on it and and i mean most of the time it seems like it's received well like it's it's a story yeah. uh so 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm just a, kind of a half-formed thought, but it seems like that's well, a medium yeah. that that that's receptive to that type of. It, it's a medium that, that's that's open to it. I, you know, I think film is too in terms of you bring in a new director to adapt something, you start to kind of mess around with it in different ways. Um, you know, so so um, so yeah. I mean, I think there is some flexibility in those mediums. Um, there's a thing that happens in comic books where you you sometimes get so attached to a particular artist. And then it switches, and and mm. that could be very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but then also, I mean, you know, think about when I think about things like um, Grant Morrison's um, Superman adaptation, um, where you have this 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 character that you really feel like you know, and you feel like you have understand the limits of, and you know, there's been things that have happened in that world that just get goofy in some ways. Uh, and then Grant Morrison comes along and he figures out a way to kind of do something new with the character that really um, um, re reinvigorates it, revitalizes it. Um, you know, I, I think that's you know, those are the kinds of moments that really work. And so, so ideally, what I would think is is any kind of adaptation, you know, whether it's a novelization or whether it's you know some other adaptation, should be shooting for that. Should be trying to kind of get us to the point where we really. Um, um, experience the work in a new way and, and come away gaining something. Um, and I just, I think a lot of writers have gotten a little lazy about that. I think also that the publishers don't always care all that much about it, but you know, in, in this case, I've, I've with, with all the adaptations I've done, I've been really lucky to have publishers and writers who are just willing to kind of um, go with, with the ideas I have and take a chance on things. I recently, um, I've been listening to a lot of short stories on podcasts and over the last couple of weeks I've caught two different, um, kind of other side views of the wizard of Oz and, you know, you find something and you love it and then someone gives you a whole new spin and it's just, it's, it's nice to get something additional, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're into, you know, dramatic movies or, or whatever, usually what you get is what you get and that's it. And you can't revisit those characters or take another look at set in stone. But yeah, there are these genres that of, of fantasy and fiction and even horror that can give you yeah. the, the flip side of the coin, so to speak. This is a great story. It was about the, the king of the flying monkeys and kind of oh. his, his take on that whole like last, whatever, 20 minutes, half an hour of the wizard of Oz. And it was just brilliant. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's nice to have a, it's nice as a fan of of the of the particular you know genre yeah. to be able to to get a little something extra. And I, I think those stories are best when they come from someone who gets really interested in the material and really intrigued by the material. Um, there's a there's a French book which is called Cosmos by a guy named Claro, um, which is is kind of a retelling of the Wizard of Oz as if um, all the characters are in a concentration camp. And it's just, it's really strange, and, and re but really good as well. And you also get the sense he really loves The Wizard of Oz. Um, or there's, do you guys know this graphic novel by Wenchless, which is Pinocchio? And it's a, a kind of retelling of Pinocchio in, in the history of the atrocities of the 20th century. Wow. Um, one of the best um, uh, graphic novels I've read in the last couple of years. Um, just, just really intense and strange and... You know, it tells the Pinocchio story in a way that you just <laughs> really don't expect it could be told. Uh, I've just added two things to my to-be-read list in the last <laughs> two minutes. So. And the thing I think about what you're what you're talking about and these these really good examples of adaptations and stuff is, um, you've got something that affected you at some point as you know, uh, yeah. like the Pinocchio thing or a Wizard of Oz or or whatever it is, and then you take that and, and when you retell it or you do your adaptation or something, 
that's your opportunity to take something that had an impact on you and yeah. put yourself into it. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, and I, I, uh, one of the, one of my colleagues at Brown is Robert Coover and he's been doing this kind of thing for years where he'll take, um, you know, a traditional text and they'll kind of make it strange, kind of pull it into a space that's, that's kind of unique in its own. So he'll take Goldilocks and kind of make it into something else. Or he has a book, which is called Pinocchio in Venice, which is a Pinocchio story kind of told in an obscene way and, you know, all sorts of other things like that. Um, and it's just, there's, there's stories and, uh, you know, ultimately I think that these things that affect us and, and have an impact on us, it's, it's, there's something about that that's not proprietary. And, and that, you know, we, we can kind of return to those worlds and take them in other directions and make sense of them in new ways. Um, and, you know, I think it's often done in a way that's really respectful and really interesting and that just is really expansive. This is like an excellent conversation. I feel bad. I, I, I want to, <laughs> I now want to adapt this podcast. Yeah. So we talked a lot what you've been doing. What are you? What What is something that you're currently working on? You want to talk about? Um, I have I have a couple of things I'm trying to work on. I haven't had that much time to to do stuff just because of the baby and you know kind of being in baby land. Um, but uh, you know I had a couple of stories come out. There's one on um, with the American Reader online and and in their print journal too. And and granted, it a story of mine on, online. Um, and, and then I've been trying to work on this short novel, this novella that I've been interested in for a while, which which um, is, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but it, it's kind of like um, um, Outland um, if the characters were running out of oxygen and were incredibly paranoid. And, uh, um, and I'm about halfway through with that. And, you know, I think it'll change and become something very, you know, very different from that. But that's kind of the best sense I have of how to describe it right now. And then I have another piece. Um, I got really interested in this, um, this guy in Alaska who ended up was living in a small town over the winter and ended up slaughtering most of the people in the town. It's a town of like 12. And, uh, I've become interested in that. And I think I'm going to do a piece related to him. I've got four or five pages of notes, but haven't really started anything. Wow. Lots of pokers in the fire. Yeah. A couple. There's always a few. <laughs> We can barely do one thing at a time, right? So yeah. it's always impressive to hear about people's, uh, you know, the expanse of what they can work on. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we let you go? Uh, not, not offhand that I can think of. You know, the the, the latest book was, I guess, uh, either Immobility or Wind Eye. And, uh, um, um, you know, Immobility is a book I'm really proud of. So if, if, if anyone is interested in looking at that, it's, it's a book that's a kind of post-apocalyptic book that's set in Utah and, and destroys Utah. And so as a kind of former Mormon, it gives me a lot of satisfaction. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things I'm, I'm most happy with. Um, and other than that, no, not really. Well, Brian, once again, thank you so much for taking some time. And, uh, and thanks for all the good writing. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot. All right. Um, I feel like I should be asking for like a round of applause for, for Brian Evanson. What a terrific guest and so much great insight into not just Lords of Salem, but like, you know, just everything. Yeah, that it's always all right. So it'd be one thing if if by itself he was just a good writer, which he is. Mm -hmm. I really love reading the stuff that he writes. But on top of that, all the different things he does and then being, you know, an interesting, engaging guest on top of it. It's just 
almost too. I wanted to be like Brian. Can you just t- tone it down a little bit? You're making this look bad. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to sound fanboyish, but after reading Last Days and Lords of Salem, I have immobility. It's been sitting on my Kindle, just waiting for a uh, for a break in the uh, in the in the reading for the podcast for me to get to it. So. Well, not not much chance of that happening with all oh. the stuff we've got coming up lately. Oh, oh my God! Do you, oh. yeah. And this <laughs> we're off the air earlier. I actually said to Rob, I was like, "Yeah, we need to schedule the next five episodes because I'm pretty sure they're all this coming week." <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it rains, it pours. Feast or famine, all those cliches. We got a lot of stuff going on right now. All right, I did tease a little uh, a little special news for after the uh, the Brian Evanson interview. So here it is. Um, some of you that may have ever listened to this show may have heard us mention a website called This Is Horror. Sound familiar, everybody? Everyone? Good? Okay. So we've been in talks with the, the folks over at This Is Horror, and we are going to have our, um, our, our I'm saying our because it's going to be broadcast on our, on our podcast, our first real crossover episode. That's right. Podcast crossing over. So we are going to, because we haven't had enough of Brian Evanson and Rob Zombie and the Lords of Salem, um, we, Rob and I, and then the gentlemen from This Is Horror that are like, I don't know, it's like 300,000 miles away, right? England? Is that, is that uh, right? It's like 300,000 yeah, miles? Okay. It's, it's a long way. Years. It's, yeah, it's over where Craig Wallwork is, but I think they're a little further to that side. I'm pointing to that side. So. Yeah, with the torches. Um, yes. <laughs> We're going to... Uh, the knickers. We're all going to go see Lords of Salem. Now, we're not going to see it in the same theater at the same time, but um, we're all going to see it. And then we are going to pile on one monster episode where we talk about Rob Zombie, probably about Sherry Moon Zombie. Might talk a little bit about Brian Evanson, the book, the movie, and everything else. So and we might talk about monsters, too. There could be monsters. There may be monsters. So um, that's going to be coming up in the very near future. By near future, it's probably be like a week from now. Soon, soon. <laughs> oh no, you went there. You I did. There. I have to go there every chance I get. So um, thanks to Michael <laughs> Wilson for helping us uh, put this together. Um, he is the front man over at This Is Horror, and um, you know, like I think, like oh, we have a lot of episodes. We do. do you realize how much like output they have on that website along with the podcast? Yeah, they're like six things a day coming out. Yeah, I know it's it's ridiculous. I'm just glad that we don't have to do that. Yeah. Yet. You're glad. You're glad we don't have to do that. Yeah. Like, Rob, Rob, review this. Just write up a review and throw it up on the website. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't look like We don't even like, I don't, like, from from where we started uh, to what we do now, I think we've been more and more outsourcing uh, work as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, you know, Malaz for a while doing stuff, doing uh, like little colorful minutes of, of talk here and there. Now we got Skip Papersley. He's taken over in the news. We don't even have to look at what's going on in the world because we know Skip's going to do it for us. So, like, the idea of adding more content is frightening. But at the same time, I'm just thinking, well, we just find someone to do it. Rob, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I've been outsourcing this since the first episode. It took you a little while to come on. I've been outsourcing this whole thing to you the whole time. Yeah, well, I want there to be an alternate source to to out to. You're outsourcing the outsource stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're setting up with one of those companies in India. You're really paying someone like 45 cents an hour to edit the podcast now. Oh man, that would be awesome. <laughs> don't get me don't get me started. That's a good idea. Uh, speaking of Skip Papers, Lee. Yep, Skip's uh, back on track, giving us some some awesome 
book dude is it just me or is he getting good like a lot uh, better he's really putting all his putting everything into it lately yeah i would have to say that uh we're gonna have to have him uh, tone it down because he's taking over the show making us look bad yeah. well uh between him and evanson jesus yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh i don't even know what to say about that here's book news this is book news i'm skip papersley now for the news Brett Easton Ellis's most famous work is going to be a musical. The producer of TV show Glee is adapting the script for American Psycho, and Duncan Sheik is set to be writing the music. I can tell you I'm barely breathing with excitement on this one. The production is said to be on a London stage in December. That's plenty of time for you to get your tickets. When asked about the production, Ellis stated he couldn't be happier for them, and that, quote, this is all about making money, which is the most important thing. He then spaced out for a bit and mumbled something about feeding him a cat. In other news, recently found manuscript by J.R.R. Tolkien revealed that he was working on another entire series that takes place in the same universe as our favorite stories of Middle-earth. The Hoblin, The Friendship Circle, The Two Castles, and Revenge of the Lord are all set to take place in a world called Outer Earth. The first book in the series, Bingo Gets Some Exercise, explains that Outer Earth exists outside of Middle Earth up to allow for more long-distance walks. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Elizabeth Stroud is on the bottom with the Burgess Boys at number five. Stuart Woods didn't see fourth place coming with his unintended consequences. Third place is not the same as it ever was. Kate Atkinson with Life After Life. Lisa Skodeline's book about Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl called Don't Go is number two. And finally, Mary Higgins Clark's tribute to Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl called Daddy Gone A-Hunting is number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right. I don't I didn't understand any of what Skip Papersley said, but it didn't stop me from like laughing out loud like three or four times. So it, it doesn't always make sense. But God damn it. It's funny stuff. <laughs> Brett Easton Ellis spacing out for a while. Talking about feeding him a cat. That's good stuff. <laughs> it's very good stuff. So thank you to Skip Papersley for. Oh, did you stop counting the installments? It's like installment like 25 or something. He's, no, he's up to like he's over 30. He's been doing it for quite a while now. Well, well, we're glad to have him. Look forward to more Skip Papersley on upcoming episodes. He's going to have to have like five this week. I know. He's. We got to get him on that conference call where we talk about everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so what's coming up next? Again, we don't know because this is now how, how it works on this, on this show. <laughs> maybe. It, maybe. <laughs> could be one of so many things. That's the thing. It's not that we just are lazy. We don't know what's going on. We just have so much. Going yeah. on, we don't want to promise one thing and then deliver a different thing, and yep. babies crying. And I was gonna say we're gonna have to start learning how to say no, but I think it's you. You're gonna have to start learning how to say no to me. Say, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, what I think we should do. We should do this, and you gotta be like, no, we're not doing that anymore. I, I already think though we may have our first Donnie booked casualty. I think we may have to bump a book. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just time. Yeah, so we're going to see, uh, but we've got so much stuff going on. But yeah, there's a book I really want to read, I really want to review for the show. But, but, um, Rob mentioned it a few weeks ago, this may be the first Donnie booked victim. Donnie booked. And put all these books in a cage. Saying it like that just makes me very excited. I'm not even sad. Yeah, I'm going to get a little cage, put books in, shake them up, and see what falls out. Maybe we can get Caleb Ross to build one out of, like, PVC piping and tape. <laughs> I'm Donnie. sure that... Donnie I'm Book's sure cage. that doesn't that doesn't mean anything to anybody. 
except for me and you. Maybe no, Caleb. we talked about it on one of the when we did the Manarchy reading. We were talking it, about how he his camera had all this PVC piping for a mount and stuff. See, and that's what it is with Caleb is that uh, you know if it was anybody else, we wouldn't have mentioned it. it would have been like set up real professionally, and then you know it's Caleb, and we're like, yeah, he's using plumbing. <laughs> Home Depot gift cards. Pretty sure Caleb's listening to this right now. And you know how I know that? Because he is a, uh, a like almost a disciple of Brian Evanson, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way he missed this. So, or, I mean, he probably... could have tuned out after Brian signed off. Yeah, I'm starting to tune out a little bit myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go, actually, one thing I want to mention. Uh, this, uh, we're doing another crossover kind of thing like we did with the Frank Bill interview uh, with Manarchy Magazine. So... We had Brian Evanson on for a little bit. We talked about, you know, all the things you just listened to, but there's a little bit more. If you head over to, there's going to be a link on our website, uh, but you can also just head over to manarchymag.com. We will have uh, a few extra questions we didn't ask in the interview uh, that he answered for us and uh, are being published over at Manarchy. We need, we need like, you know, like you have Donnie booked. We need a really cool name for, for, for this, what that is. I, well, they, they made this cool logo where it was the Manarchy logo mm-hmm. next to the booked logo. And the Manarchy logo is black letters on white. And our logo is white letters on black. So it looked really cool. Um, but we don't have a cool name. You're right. We need something. I'm telling you, man, we keep getting outdone by the people we partner up with. Skip Papersley, Brian Evanson, Manarchy Mag. They made the cool logo. Hey, you know what? We just bring us. That's what we bring. There you go. All right. So until next time. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.